Welcome back to CFO Weekly, where we're talking with financial leaders about how to build efficiency in their teams, create time for strategy, and ultimately get results with your host, Megan Weiss. Let's jump right in. Today, my guest is Macy McCaskill. Macy is the CFO of Rockets of Awesome, a direct-to-consumer kids clothing brand with both a subscription and traditional e-commerce offering. She has more than 20 years of finance experience, with her career starting in Bear Stearns Merchant Banking Group and subsequently spending 10 plus years at J. Crew before moving to Rockets of Awesome in 2017. She holds a Bachelor of Business Administration from the University of Michigan Ross School of Business. She currently lives in New York City with her husband and two young children. Macy, welcome to CFO Weekly, and thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us today. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, well, so there's no way to sugarcoat it. 2020 was a brutal year for most businesses, although the retail industry was hit particularly hard. The pandemic caused a massive shift in shopping habits, which translated into more bankruptcies and store closures than ever before. Retailers have had to rethink their strategies, examine their operations, and make hard decisions to survive. Rockets of Awesome is one such company. Macy, I'm really looking forward to hearing about your experience and advice for those companies who may still be struggling as we continue to try to navigate through these COVID times. So let's get started. First, tell me about your career progression. How did you get to where you are today? Yeah, so I guess I'll take a little trip down memory lane. For some reason, despite having parents that were both writers, I knew early on that I wanted to do something in business. In high school, when most of my friends were doing much more fun jobs that involved being outside or doing something cool, I interned at a consulting firm. Looking back, I'm surprised that I felt so strongly at a young age, but I was set on only applying to colleges with undergrad business schools, and all of my college internships were at banks. So I was clearly headed in one direction. I ended up at the University of Michigan um, in their undergrad business school, and my first job out of college was at Bear Stearns, which definitely ages me a little bit, um, but I was doing merchant banking there. And my group was essentially the private equity arm of the investment bank, which was really interesting because instead of putting together pitch books, I was generally on the other side and receiving and evaluating the pitch books. This meant I got to really understand the drivers of each business and build financial models based on what we truly believed was the opportunity rather than just making assumptions that we wouldn't be held accountable for post-acquisition. I learned a lot, but ultimately kind of that lifestyle um, and environment wasn't for me. So I decided that I wanted to work at a finance company where I was interested in the fundamentals of the business. So, and I could see somewhere I could see myself long-term. I ended up at J. Crew, and this was in 2006. So it was a really, really exciting time to be there. Mickey Drexler and Jenna Lyons had really hit their stride as the leaders of the business and Madewell was launched. I was hired to build the financial models and approval process for opening, renewing, and renovating new stores. Um, It was great because operating a store really involves every functional area from payroll management to marketing to creative. So I really learned a lot. And I was also really lucky because I had two great mentors, um, Stuart Hazleton, who's now the CEO at Away, and Megan Frank, who's now the CFO at Lululemon. They truly invested the time to make sure I was learning as much as possible, but also empowered me through letting me operate pretty independently. Looking back, they definitely helped shape the kind of manager I wanted to be. 
So again, I felt really, really lucky to work with them as I'm looking back, you know, on my career. From then, I took on the analysis and approval process for all capital for both J.Crew and Madewell, and ultimately ended up running the finance function of Madewell. This brings me probably to the more pivotal moment. Um, unfortunately, in 2017, there was a big round of layoffs, and they ended up eliminating my position. But looking back, it was actually a blessing in disguise. I had been there for over 10 years, so I almost needed the push to do something new. And with Nikki and Jenna not at the company anymore, the leadership there was pretty volatile. And though I get it because it was such a huge company, the layoff process was very impersonal and not transparent. So I think the experience definitely impacted how I would want to approach a reduction in staff if I were unfortunately on the other side. From there, I was lucky to have severance. So I got to spend some time with my son who was less than a year old. So that was pretty awesome. And I really got to think about what I wanted to do. Um, I knew I didn't want to be at a part of a big, huge corporation anymore, where it took forever for decisions to be made and the management structure was so vertical. By luck, after a few months, I was ultimately introduced to the COO at Rockets of Awesome, where I am now. And there was a little shell-shocked in the beginning because the role definitely was much broader than what I was used to at J. Crew. It was the right move for me, ultimately. In the three years that I've been there, I've, I've learned more than probably I ever would have expected, and I've built lasting relationships and feel a true investment in the success of the company um, personally. So I guess that was probably more detail than you need. So definitely feel free to cut any of that out. Um, but that's the long-winded story. Oh, well, that's great. And a lot of great experience in there. And yeah, I mean, it's never fun to be severed, but sometimes those events are exactly what you need in your life to move on to the next door opening. Absolutely. And I think that from personal experience and from watching friends and colleagues, you know, I, I ultimately I, I've seen very few instances where it hasn't kind of led to, you know, even a better opportunity or yep. kind of better fit for where you are in your career. So, yep. you know, it's the perfect example of turning lemons into lemonade. <laughs> yeah, that's always been my experience too. And I don't know if you've already answered this, but are there any particular stories or moves that stand out in your mind as turning points throughout your career? Off the top of my head, I don't know that I have any like stories that stand out, but I do think that you know, the move from J. Crew to Rockets of Awesome was really pivotal for me, as I kind of mentioned, just yep. in the sense that I think I'll always want to work for a smaller company. And I didn't yep. know that before moving to Rockets. Um, I, I truly believe that people who work at startups, you know, it's, it's a it's a certain personality type. You you have to be somebody that's ready to go into the office. And like the day that you, the, the way you saw your day panning out is never going to be that way. And there's always something new and there's, you know, you're, you can't be a, that's not my job type of person. And when I started, I was just amazed by how many responsibilities I had versus running finance at J crew, where you would think it would actually be like much more, I don't know, in depth, but at a bigger company, the functions are very siloed. You don't get as much visibility into the day-to-day -day of each business area. And it just takes a long time for decisions to get made and you don't get to see the impact of those decisions. And I don't even mean my own, I guess. I, I would say that being able to celebrate even the little wins after seeing how hard your team works is really rewarding. And I just don't know that you get that at a big corporation. So it was just a big kind of career learning experience for me so far. 
Yeah, I've made that uh, transition as well from large to small and couldn't agree more with your observations. Um, <laughs> so tell me about Rockets of Awesome, a little bit about their history and what it is they do. Yeah, it's a it's a good question. Um, I'll try I'll try to give you a quick synopsis. Um, so Rockets was founded in 2016 by Rachel Blumenthal, who's definitely an entrepreneur at heart and a true visionary. Um, she's very fun to work for and very passionate about the business. She'd previously founded Cricket Circle, which was a resource that had a cult following, I would say, for new moms looking for recommendations for products or for babies and toddlers. But ultimately, her learnings from the new parent community and being a new mom um, inspired her to switch gears and start a kid's clothing line. She really related to her followers that both that both the frequency of needing new clothes and finding fashionable clothing at a good price was really frustrating. She's definitely totally against gimmicky or trendy business models. And she's the first that will tell you that, but a clothing subscription for parents that simplifies the process of getting new clothes every season just makes so much sense. From when a child is born through middle school, at the least, your kid can't wear what they did the same season a year ago. So it's a solution for parents that provides both value and style. And there was just nothing really like that in the market. Even the few subscription businesses that, you know, have, have started for kids are, you know, wholesale businesses. And so that just means that the cost is that much more. When you're not truly building your own brand um, of clothing, it's just kind of wholesale at, you know, sold to you in a different way. So the uh, business was initially subscription only uh, where the parent fills out a quiz indicating their size, you know, preferences from color to patterns to style. Are you sporty? Are you preppy? That sort of thing. And how many items you want each season. And then the algorithm generates a box according to your preferences. And before shipping, we actually show you a preview of the clothes and give you the opportunity to swap out what you don't want. This gives parents a certain level of control and also is a huge benefit um, for us as it results in customers just keeping more. Customers keep what they want and send back what they don't. They're, you know, there's, it's relatively low risk, um, but there is the incentive of receiving up to a 45% discount if you keep everything. In 2019, we opened up our e-commerce site to non-subscribers as a way to expand the pool of potential customers. We broadened our wholesale relationships and also opened our... Uh, an experiential pop-up on Lower Fifth Avenue. It was a great way to not only sell our clothes, but just as importantly, showcase the energy and magic of Rockets of Awesome to give you a sense of how special it was. There was a huge marshmallow pit in the center of the store that kids were just ecstatic to play in while mom and dad shopped. And then in the past year though, you know, as, as you probably you alluded to at the beginning, we had to prioritize our digital channels and do not have our pop-up anymore and kind of are not um, current, don't currently have any wholesale channels, but hope to get back to both um, at some point down the line. Yeah, well, I'm, my kids are approaching their teenage years now, but I, I wish that had been around uh, when my kids were small because I think that's an amazing idea. Yeah, it's, you know, our, our, our customers are just like, obsessed with the concept and the ease and the personalization. And, you know, we seem to be getting it right based on keep rates that are, you know, in the 80% range. Um, so it's been really, it's been really exciting. 
So tell me about how things changed at Rockets of Awesome in 2020. How has your organization dealt with the challenges last year and continuing now into this year? It's interesting because obviously this last year has just felt endless and felt like everything has changed. But at the same time, the heart and soul of Rockets, I would say, is, has managed to survive um, this challenging year. You know, to give you a little background of kind of our, our the year of 2020 for us, we had been planning on raising money in Q1 and we're really close, but similar to other VC-backed businesses, unfortunately, access to capital became really challenging very quickly and we were forced to make some really, really tough decisions. Um, without having any clarity around the timing of capital infusion, um, we had no choice but to make some meaningful operational and team changes. Those few months were, you know, quite honestly, the hardest of my whole career. Each and every person on our team contributed in such a meaningful way. So emotionally, I couldn't fathom making, you know, team reductions. But at the end of the day, you know, in my role in particular, it's my job to make sure to make financial decisions that allow the company to survive. And without taking action, the business would have had to wind down. So if expense reductions were the only financial path forward, it was the path we had to take. Luckily, our incredible uh, COO, Annika, managed the process in the most thoughtful, transparent, and compassionate way. And as I mentioned before, I was just committed to doing right by our employees and wanted to treat them with the respect they deserved. And so the moment we made the decision with the board, um, she was quick to take the lead on putting an action plan in place and communicate the decision to the team. It was, of course, wasn't what anyone wanted to hear, but as Annika constantly reminded me when I have some deep, dark, you know, moments, there's a right and a wrong way to do things. And we were 100% committed to treating everybody with respect. So we scheduled team meeting with within two days of the decision being made with the board um, and walked them through how we got there and why we needed to make the changes so quickly. And I think the team really appreciated the transparency. Ultimately, we cut our burn by 75% and were able to build a business plan that allowed us to have runway for an additional year. There were certain employees that stayed on for a few months to help with the transition. And I think it's a testament to the culture that Rachel and Annika and really everyone fostered that meant that employees were willing to stick around with a positive attitude for as long as needed. Without these changes, Rockets would not still be operating. And I feel good knowing that even those who aren't still with the company are so thrilled that the business was able to continue and is doing really well. So unfortunately, that's how we had to deal with the challenges of the year. But um, I think, you know, right now I'm, I'm comfortable with the decisions that were made because it allows us to be where we are today. Yeah, I mean, those decisions are never easy. But um, yeah, I, I, I like that you guys were transparent and honest. I think that's so, so important when making those kinds of tough decisions that impact people's lives. Yeah, it was really, it was really tough because everybody meant a lot to us. And it was, it's, such a great team, but um, you know, everybody's adults. And I think if you do things in the right way and realize that, you know, people can be more understanding than you'd anticipate, uh, it, it can be all right. It was not personal. It was all business. <laughs> so how did your organization maintain employee morale throughout that period? And how has that impacted your company's culture? Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, you know, it was definitely top of mind for us. We were very cognizant that 
the types of changes we were making would really impact morale. We had always tried to foster a feeling that the team was an extension of family, so we expected that the employees who remained after the reduction would feel both a sense of guilt and sadness, um, and maybe even anger. Not only were we in a transition period as a company, but the world was changing and we were working remotely. So there was just a feeling of uncertainty for many reasons and that never feels good. I can't sugarcoat it. it was, there was some awkward weeks and it was really hard, but I think the transparency and dedication to helping each employee find new jobs and you know, providing generous severance helped us build trust with the team and maintain those relationships with, with those who had left. We kept our bi-weekly team meetings and tried to keep them both informative and entertaining. Um, we continued our awesome committee, um, which is a group that is in charge of organizing non-work-related activities and happy hours and games. And then I think, you know, in terms of kind of maintaining morale and culture, um, I think most importantly, we made changes that promoted self-care and a work-life balance. For example, while we're working remotely, we've instituted Mental Health Fridays, which gives every employee paid time off every other Friday. We think it's just really critical to facilitate personal, you know, me time during this crazy period. We also have deep work mornings three times a week where meetings aren't allowed to be scheduled for a certain period of time. Um, Sorry, it sounds like my son is not getting the snack he wants. I, I don't know if you can hear that, but. <laughs> sounds like my house. <laughs> um, Just the times we live in. I know. Yeah, and that's the thing. I know anybody listening completely, you know, understands. Um, where was I? Oh, so yeah, we have deep work mornings um, three times a week where we can't schedule meetings. Um, and I think this allows for everyone to have non-interrupted periods of time where they can truly not think things off their to-do list. And, you know, I think most people really feel good about doing that. And then I guess one other thing comes top of mind, um, we're implementing walking touch bases to really allow for people to get away from their screens and have some fresh air. I think it fosters kind of more personal conversation. So, you know, I guess the there there is that ultimately, I truly believe it's incredibly important to make the team feel valued as human beings and not just employees. And you know, most people are more productive and motivated when they're taking care of themselves and prioritizing mental health. So if we can, as an exec team, facilitate that, we can help build a pretty dedicated team. And look, we're no, by no means perfect, but we, we certainly try. Yeah, it sounds like a great place to work. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Um, so switching gears a little bit, how have you seen COVID change your consumers' behaviors? And how has COVID caused you to rethink your sales channels and offerings? Yeah, so uh, that's a good question. Um, you know, we, we certainly planned for the best, but prepared for the worst. We weren't sure how COVID would impact the business, so we planned pretty conservatively to make sure our runway, you know, in a conservative case would get us through the next year. You know, I'm so thrilled to be able to say that the year exceeded all expectations. We had lower than expected churn, higher than planned keep rates, and really favorable CACs. I think this truly is due to the shift in you know, consumer behavior. It goes without saying that customers stopped shopping in stores, so they had to explore shopping experiences that they hadn't previously been motivated to try. In addition, our target customer's lifestyle you know, our target customer being parents has their, their lifestyle needs have drastically changed. Parents are 
now wanting more personalized solutions and just to simplify their lives. They don't have the time to sift through endless websites and wait for the big sales. So I think the convenience is really appealing. Um, and I think in terms of how it's caused us to rethink our sales channels, I think, you know, we're definitely confident that for now we're only, you know, selling through our own digital channels um, and we'll, well for the foreseeable future. But as I mentioned before, I, I do think that long term, there's still a huge opportunity for kind of a more experiential retail concept for us. You know, the idea of having parents being able to go into a store that kids are excited to be in, that feels fun, that feels magical, that's not just kind of the offshoot of really the adult brand. So I think that that, you know, when the world gets somewhat back to normal, but I do think that kind of subscription and e-com is, is at the levels that it's going to you know, these levels are here to stay. Yeah. And that marshmallow pit sounded amazing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it was like, it was, you know, the best and the worst because my kids would get so excited to, you know, jump into it and swim around and they made new friends, but then, you know, they also didn't want to leave. So, <laughs> <laughs> but it was really fun. It was very cool to watch kind of how, how all the customers really um, loved it. So without having a crystal ball, do you think that some of these changes in behavior will continue once life returns to normal? Oh, that's the million dollar question, right? Um, you know, I think the same way demand for subscription-based fitness and entertainment um, among other categories has accelerated with COVID, I think customers are much more comfortable trying solutions to make their lives easier. You know, I would say that, of course, some people will be eager to get back to stores, but I think most have learned to manage their time in a different way and optimize for convenience. And this is something that will ultimately stick with them. It's kind of hard to move backwards. You know, I, for one, will keep my Peloton and avoid wasting time going to front of gym. Certainly continue using at-home entertainment more than I ever did um, versus getting a babysitter to go to the movies and spend money on overpriced tickets and popcorn. You know, sometimes maybe I'd go, but I, I really do think shopping and lifestyle habits have permanently been shifted. Yeah. To your point about the popcorn, you can actually get to-go popcorn from the movie theater. Really? I, I just found that, that out. I mean, I, yeah. I haven't stepped foot in one in, you know, 12 months, but that's, that's my parents. I need to tell my parents that. That's like the only reason they go to the place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did that. And it is a gigantic bag of popcorn that will last you like a week. Oh my gosh. Maybe I shouldn't tell them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So how have you dealt with supply chain challenges and how has that made a difference? Well, you know, we were really lucky that we didn't encounter any major issues with our vendors. You know, the inventory that we had bought was kind of relatively on time and nothing was really held up. But you know, it does bring up an interesting topic, you know, as it relates to our business that given the uncertainty and need to manage working capital as tightly as possible, we actually didn't buy any new inventory for the back to school season. It was scary because without any newness, we were selling past season's inventory and we were risking both churn and keep rates among other things. But it was crazy. It turned out that both KPIs you know, our churn rates and our keep rates far exceeded expectations. And in fact, we saw the highest keep rates in the company's history. So for us, the tough decision reinforced the strength of our business model, which was, you know, a lesson we wouldn't have learned otherwise. 
you know, it's pretty simple. Parents are looking for convenience and style at reasonable prices. Their child has grown out of their clothes and they need to size up and trust that our service will deliver what they need and more. Um, our algorithm knows what each kid has already received so we can easily, you know, choose and send styles that feel new to them. So validating this advantage of the subscription business was a huge unlock for us um, as we can now feel confident taking bigger swings, knowing that if we don't sell every single thing we buy in a season, we don't need to put unsold inventory on sale because um, we can sell it for you know, our expected price down the road um, and just will ultimately re reduce future buys and be in the same cash position if you're looking at the long-term view. So in the spring and summer, we actually hadn't seen the back to school results and therefore weren't comfortable placing a buy above plan. So this ultimately left a lot of opportunity on the table for us because we were so constrained by inventory this winter and essentially had to turn off our customer acquisition. So this forced strategy that we truly would never have like taken this risk of not buying new inventory for a season really probably made the biggest difference for us as it relates to supply chain strategies of knowing that our carryover inventory can sell just as well as any newness. Don't get me wrong, I am so excited for uh, a lot of new fun styles, um, you know, this year, but it's just a good, it was a great learning for us that, you know, COVID essentially forced. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, and for companies still struggling to stay above water, where would you suggest that they start? What tough decisions do you think need to come first? First and foremost, I would say you always have to have at least a 12-month view of the business to make sure you aren't put in a position that you can't take care of your team and do right by your vendors. I think, you know, that is pretty obvious. I think you have to be able to like kind of have the foresight to know that, you know, you might have to make a decision today that is based on what things look like in 12 months. Um, I think it's different for every industry, but if the obvious low-hanging fruit of cutting unnecessarily travel or eliminating the nice to have expenses, the areas you really need to take a hard look at are marketing and headcount because they're generally the largest line items on your P&L. Um, you really have to ask yourself, what is the bare minimum team size we need to continue to operate, even if it means eliminating certain channels that maybe have lower volume and that you were thinking of for like long-term growth, but like that aren't pay paying for themselves like in, at that time. You know, it can be really scary and hard to imagine operating with a smaller team, but you'd, we definitely learned this year that you'd be surprised at how many boys step up during challenging time and how much can get done. And then I think the second piece is, you know, looking at your payback period for marketing spend and making sure that that LTV pack ratio really makes sense. If your payback is more than nine to 12 months, you really need to pull back and hopefully get by with repeat customers and pivot to a business model that will allow you to raise money or gives you a path to profitability. Gone are the days where investors are supportive of growing at any cost, um, fortunately or unfortunately for uh, CFOs, but uh, you know, investors need to know that a business can at some point within a reasonable time horizon use profits to invest in growth. So I think those two areas are really where you need to make sure you're, you're spending um, appropriately. And as we start 2021, what is keeping you up at night? Other than the state of our political climate, <laughs> just kidding. Didn't mean I want to get into that one. Um, I would, I would say honestly, continued stack CAC stabilization. I think it's, you know, for a company at our stage, acquiring customers at reasonable CACs is just so critical. Um, 
luckily, I really believe that we've made some changes to pricing and messages and added additional convenience features um, that will help keep costs where they are. Not to mention that we're, we're launching Baby, which I think will also have, a benef have beneficial implications to CAC and LTV. But I think that's the one area that you can't you know, control as much as you'd like. And lastly, what's been one positive change that came out of 2020 that you would like to see carried forward into the future? I think two things come to mind. I'll be, I'll, I'll make this short and sweet. I think number one, just focus personally on a work-life balance and also make sure that you're facilitating that for your team. And then probably two, just willingness to take risks. You only, you know, you learn the most by taking those risks. And so I think we were forced to do that in 2020 and had some really, really great learnings. And, you know, I want to continue being able to do that, you know, this year and into the future. Yeah. And to your first point, I mean, we have so much more time on our hands, but at the same time, it's so hard to leave work behind when work is at home. Exactly. That's the thing. There isn't that natural break between home and work. And so you have to, you have to actually genuinely make an effort to create that balance um, or you just, the, the lines are blurred and it, it can be a slippery slope. Macy, thank you so much for joining me today. Of course. Thanks for having me. It was an honor. Yeah, I've enjoyed speaking with you and getting your perspective on the importance of acting quickly, making tough decisions, and becoming more agile. And hopefully 2020 has left Rockets of Awesome in a great position to tackle the future. I really hope so. I'm, I'm feeling very hopeful. So thank you. Yeah. And to all of our listeners, I hope you've enjoyed this episode as well. Please tune in next week. And until then, take care of yourselves. If you're ready to boost efficiency and streamline your accounting processes at significant cost savings, it's time to talk with Personiv. Their people-powered solutions have transformed the delivery of back office tasks and general accounting functions for decades, partnering with clients to provide everything from accounts payable to payroll services. See what Personiv can do for you by visiting personiv.com. You've been listening to CFO Weekly presented by Personiv. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to hear all of our episodes. Want to learn more? Check out personiv.com. Thanks for listening.